we're going to dig around the scripture tonight, so uh, even though it's this morning. And uh, uh, just for everybody to know, we have a special guest with us from Romania tonight, so we're thankful for her coming by to be in church with us tonight, Andrea. So I had a little backdrop with that. Years ago, <clears throat> the church I pastor, we built a church in Romania uh, with Brother Jerry Back, and some of y'all uh, probably know... Uh, um, I know, where's Craig at? Who's the guy? Gene's, Gene Huff, yeah. Gene Huff was instrumental in going behind uh, back when the curtain was still up to Romania. Him and Jerry Back were smuggling Bibles in uh, back in the day. So we got a connection there. So we're thankful God's brought Andrea over to be with us in fellowship tonight. So you can get around maybe say something to her after service. Let's uh, go to Acts chapter 6. And then uh, we're going to pray and we're going to see what the Lord has for us tonight. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you, Lord, that your grace and mercy is sufficient for all that we need. Lord, we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and there's none beside you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've not left us to ourselves. You said you, didn't, you would not leave us as orphans, but you would send the Holy Spirit and his fullness into our lives. So, Lord, we're so thankful that you've left us your word, you've given us the Holy Spirit, and we pray, Lord, that we'll be faithful to you, because you said you would never leave us nor forsake us, you'd be with us all the way to the end. And we can see the end, Lord, it's coming close, and we know that you're moving out everything into place, Lord, for, the, for this final destination, Lord. And we're excited about what you have for us, and we thank you, Lord, most of all, for salvation. Through your Son. We bless your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's go to um, Acts chapter 6. Now, I've gotten older, so I've got these glasses that go like three different things. So I'm trying to get used to, to them. So if I, if I say three and it's supposed to be four, you all forgive me. Uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, is this not It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So there's a clear understanding here that these guys, they, there has to be somebody who's focused in the body with, with the Word and with prayer. I mean, that, uh, there are, I know missionaries that when they plant churches, if the minister is not full-time within three years, they pull the church because they believe, and that's a two-way street. So sometimes, and it was that way when I first started the ministry, there was a sacrifice because, as you know, the, church, the first church I pastored, we grew from 26 to 12 the first week. <laughs> not everybody was happy. And uh, so... We, I walked in 
like the first, nobody had ever stayed in the office. The church was just open and closed, so I was going to start keeping some office hours. I left the coal mines, took the job for $90 a week, and I walked in the first day I was going to sit in the office, and, and somebody, we, anybody remember the fuel oil furnaces? Had to get fuel oil? That's what we had at the church, fuel oil furnace. And somebody had slid a fuel bill under the door. And I looked at uh, how much money come in the Sunday before. I looked at the fuel bill. And then I looked at God and I said, are you sure this is where I'm supposed to be? <laughs> so uh, there's a commitment on both sides. Those people did everything they could. Sister Mary's got a wonderful testimony about that who runs the orphanage of the children's home, how God took care of her and stuff. But it's sacrificial, right? Sometimes the body has to be sacrificial, and the, the leader every, it works together, and that's how God designed it. So they are going to be focused on the word and prayer of the apostle, but they're going to call these, uh, these other guys. This is the Greek word that we use for deacon. They're going to get these other guys to be servants to help minister to people's needs. People were, the widows are mentioned here. And the Bible says if we're going to have true religion, it's, it's to visit the fatherless and the widows, take care of them in their time of affliction. So that's where we should start. An able-bodied man, if he can, should be out working. But we should start first with the widows and the fatherless. That's how we should. So you know how much emphasis we place here on orphanages and children, especially in, in troubled areas. But we also try to look out for those who are widows. Now, the first part of that, and the Bible's, you know, the Bible covers everything if you'll take time to read it. If a widow has children, they're supposed to step up first before the church. And then the church comes in behind that. That's the way it should be, right? I mean, families should take care of themselves, but not, that doesn't always happen. Now, there's another Greek word that I want you to, similar to this, uh, doulos, is another word that is. And this means to be a servant, to serve, right? So... Diakonos is a, uh, somebody who's committed to the task. Doulos is more relational. That's when Paul said, I'm a bondservant of Christ. That's doulos. Diakonos is here with these kind of guys in situations where they are servants. It's all about God, but these guys are serving servant to the task. They're committed to the task. And when this word is used... It's about relationship. Now, if you go back to uh, the teaching on doulos, a bondservant in the New Testament, and you read where Paul talks about that, a doulos is someone who has the freedom to walk away but chooses to stay. In other words, the Israelites were not allowed to treat their servants as slaves. God gave them clear parameters for that. He told them how, and basically they were supposed to treat them like family. And so Israel was not like the rest of the nations. They were not enslaving people and treating them horribly. That was, God would punish them for that. But what they were called to do was to 
take care of people in their time of need, give them opportunities to work off their debts or whatever, but to treat them like family. So what would happen sometimes there would be children born during those seasons when people were servants to a lot of times people couldn't pay their debts for whatever reason and they would surrender themselves or their family to the family they owed the debt to pay the debt off to work for them well they were supposed to bring them in not like slavery was in this country that was horrible but they were supposed to bring them in and treat them like family so sometimes these folks would stay there and be treated so well that they would choose to stay because Israel had to turn them loose, right, ever so often in the year of freedom, right, in the year of jubilee and all that kind of stuff, the Sabbath year on the Sabbath. So there's a lot of things that they had to release, and sometimes it was people that were, were committed to them, so these people would choose to stay. Now, if you watched any of the, 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 um, the teaching this morning at 630, or if you went back and watched it, and we're, that was our 12th session on teaching on the Holy Spirit, you saw me go through Genesis, you heard me, or both, go through Genesis and show how that Eleazar was a type of the Holy Spirit, and, and Isaac, of course, is a type of Jesus, the Son, and Abraham is a type of the Father. So the Father had a son, and he sent Eleazar out to secure a bride for the Son. That is exactly what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's going through the earth securing a bride for the Son. But he, there's something that's said in there. He said... Eleazar asked the question to Abraham. He said, what if they're not willing to come? And then he goes on through a few verses. He said, well, you're released from that if they're not willing, right? So nobody's going to be made to serve God. That's not how he runs his kingdom. Unlike any other king and, and that's had that kind of authority, he doesn't make us serve him. He offers us an invitation to join his family, to come into his kingdom, and to follow him and to have eternal life. But he's not making anybody serve him. And, and I've used this a lot lately, but I want to stress this again uh, tonight. <clears throat> well, somebody's been drawing on my board. I guess it was me. So that stick man, he stayed over. He had some repenting to do. He stayed over after, after the last teaching. So <clears throat> when, when God calls us into his kingdom... He offers us everything, right? But he doesn't force us into it. So doulos is someone who chooses to stay. That's what we do, right? We choose to stay. So God gave every one of us a free will, all right? You have the ability to choose, to make decisions based on your own criteria. Now, God wants us to make those decisions based on his criteria, but we can do our own thing, and God allows us to do our own thing. God gave us a free will in design or in hopes that we would trust Him, knowing that many of us would choose not to trust Him, and we would choose to sin. God risked the fact, if you want to call it that, He risked the fact that most of mankind because the Bible says few are going to heaven, many are going to destruction. He risked the fact that most of mankind would choose their own way slash sin and not trust him, right? That's what he risked by giving us a free will. But here's the thing. If you did not have a free will, you couldn't do either one of these. You'd be a robot. You couldn't sin 
or trust. So God gave us a free will in hopes and desire that we would choose Him and trust Him, knowing that many or most of us would choose to sin. Risky business, right? For anybody other than God. Because God's in charge. So really, God has foreknowledge, right? So He knew that, that most, and Jesus reaffirmed that in the New Testament, right? Many are going to destruction. Few are going to the path of life, right? He, they know that. So what's God really after? He's really after the people that will choose Him. Not the people that get pushed into it. Not the people that get afraid like they did on 9-11 and the church is filled up for six weeks and they all left again. Not those people. They're not committed. You can't put both hands on the plow and look back and be fit for the kingdom. So he's looking for the people that choose him. Because it's him. Not because of what they get, but because they love him. I love what David said in one of the Psalms. He said, Lord, it's not your hand I'm after, it's your face I want to see. That's, that's why he was a man after God's own heart. And he'd done some stupid stuff. But he was still a man after God's own heart because his heart loved the Lord. He wanted God's will. If you read his writings, many times he'd say, let's check with the Lord. Let's, I guess he learned that lesson the hard way. Maybe some of us have too. He said, let's check with the Lord. We're going to check with the Lord first. He was adamant about that. We're going to talk to God before we make a move. And that's what Joshua didn't do, remember? And it got him in trouble. So Stephen is both. He's a diakonia, a diakonos, and a doulos. And that's, he's a servant to the task that he's been given, but he's in love with the Lord. And he proves it. And that's what we're going to look at. He says, uh, the whole multitude, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And the Holy Spirit, Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paranaeus, Paramenius, Paramenos. I can't see very well. I'm trying to get my glasses. It's just... Lord, I should have wore these. Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied uh, greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I got a friend who's, uh, I'm friends with his son, who's my age, but I, I grew up kind of under this guy's tutelage. And if you called on a Wednesday at a certain point, you could, they wouldn't let you talk to him because he would just stay before the Lord. And I try to do that myself. I try to go just be before the Lord before I get in this pulpit. Trying to make sure that he's handing off not just good stuff, but the right stuff at the right time. That's the secret to ministry. It's not just handing off good stuff, but handing off good stuff at the right time. And so these guys are being set out, and the Word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, how many of you remember that in here? Priests who were under the priesthood 
working in the law, started believing on Jesus. So it ain't, it's not like the early church was Gentiles. The early church was primarily Jews. Now the nation as a whole rejected Jesus and many of them turned away. But most of the early church was made up of Jews. Converted Jews. Jews who actually believed on Jesus Christ. Many of them didn't. But the church started bringing in the Gentiles later like on the day of Pentecost and after that. And then when Paul turns to the Gentiles and makes his focus the Gentiles, because Jerusalem and Israel's getting ready to go into captivity again, so to speak, in A.D. 7. Because they rejected the Messiah. But most of your early church was made up of Jews. And so it says, And Stephen, full of faith, now that we'd already told some things about him in verse, um, I think it's verse 5, in fact, my glasses work. Uh, they chose Stephen. I'm, I'm going to have to get new glasses and a bigger Bible. This is. I thought the money was over when I bought the glasses. I'm going to buy a new Bible. And saving, uh, it says in verse 5, says, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's the secret. If you really want to give the devil trouble, there it is. Live a life full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. That's how we can give the devil fits. The Bible says that if we submit ourselves to God, now that's not, it's not just doing it when church is going on. That's a lifestyle. And when we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, he will run from us. The Bible uses, the English uses the word flee. Now think about that. Because most Christians, it's just the opposite. They're running from the devil. How about a life where the devil's trying to get away from you instead of you getting away from him? That's the kind of life we can have if we're full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and committed to God. No matter what. No matter if it costs us our lives. It's going to cost this guy's life. And so, then in verse, uh, the next few verses down, it says, Stephen's full of faith and power, re-emphasizes that. He's full of faith again and power, which is in relation to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit was given in a new measure on the day of Pentecost in the first two chapters of Acts. So he's got power, faith, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And he's getting ready to preach. Not planned. I want you to think about this in these terms. He's out waiting on people's needs. And all of a sudden, he gets in a position. He don't have notes. He's not studied. He's not went to seminary. God just says, I'm using you. That's the most important thing, is that God would use us. That's, God can use us, and if we're a willing vessel and let him speak through us, it'll come out better than 10 years worth of schooling. If we'll be a vessel that he can speak through. And if we can keep ourselves out of the way and our own ideas and thoughts, and you know what I say about that, God don't need your ideas. He don't need mine either. God needs us committed to his word and obeying it. God's not in heaven when we come up with an idea saying, hey, and looking at the angels and say, why didn't we think of that? That's not God. God's not up there looking down here saying, look at what Robin's come up with, man, that's awesome. As if God didn't know what to do. 
And, and that's where we, that's where, listen, we talk about flesh, we talk about the sins of the flesh, but the flesh can be just as real in that moment. This is what I want to do, but is that what God wants you to do? Just because there's a need don't mean it's your call to fill it. God moves his people by faith. And sometimes he sets us in situations. Listen, the flesh would never let you pray if he could get by with it. He'd keep you busy. Now listen, he'd keep you busy witnessing, preaching, going to orphanages, and all those things are necessary. But he would never let you pray and fast and study if, if you didn't put him in his place. Because it makes the flesh feel good. I went to the orphanage today. I fed 14 people in a soup kitchen today. I saw three angels riding a green bicycle down the road. I just heard that from old timer and thought I'd throw it in. We can get so much in the flesh that we think it's spiritual. They said, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help cook the chicken. Right? He didn't say cook the chicken. But. Tell Mary to get up and help us. And he said, she's done what's needful. Basically, what's most important, she's doing it. She's sitting right here at my feet. And so if we're not careful, the flesh can tend us to all kinds of activity that, is, that looks good and even feels good in the flesh. But is it causing you to miss out sitting at Jesus' feet? Is it causing you to be too worn out to spend time with the Father? Right? I heard Watchman Nee. Now, I'm a big fan of Watchman Nee, but Watchman Nee, you've got to read his stuff three or four times or it'll bring you to, you, it'll bring you to your knees. But Watchman Nee talks about how we ought to give God good time. Not wait to the end of the day when we're all wore out and we don't have good mental capacity and good energy and give God the leftovers. He talks about how we should give God some good time so that we can be on our best game when he's speaking to us and when we're bringing ourselves before him that we're alert, attentive, and ready to be with him, not falling asleep on him like Peter did. He said, couldn't you just hang in here with me for one hour? And so Phillips is the man. I mean, he, excuse me, Stephen is the guy. He's really, he's really... Full of God, he's a doulos, he's a diakonos, diakono, uh, and he's ready to do God's will. He's committed to what they've asked him to do. Then there arose some from the, what is called the synagogue of freedom, of, of freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicily and Asia, disputing the, the, with Stephen. So here we go. The battle's coming. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke, right? The same thing they said about Jesus. Never a man spoke like this, right? Stephen's got the same stuff Jesus had in him. The Bible said the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. And that's power when you can raise Jesus from the dead because every demon from hell was probably trying to stop that, and they couldn't. And it says, the spirit by which he spoke, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. He's going through the same thing that Jesus went through. Lying on him, same kind of treatment, badgering him, trying to trip him up. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. 
They also set up false witnesses and said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place of the law. So the same situation they had with Jesus. But this is an opportunity. Your dilemma is God's opportunity. My dilemma is an opportunity for God to shine. When it looks like we're in the corner, that's when God can show himself through us. And Stephen is getting ready to give us an example of that. They brought him to the council. And that's, this, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that where two of our churches are and schools in Nigeria with Stephen, that he's the name, I don't think his name's a coincidence. Because many of his, his colleagues have been killed. Their churches have been burned. Hundreds of churches over the last 15 years have been burned. The pastors killed. The congregations burned alive in these churches. The women's breasts cut off from them so they can't even feed their children. And there's a man right in the middle of that in the firing line that God's partners up with whose name is Stephen. And somebody asked him, I knew better than ask him this, but somebody here in the States asked him on one of his trips over here, why don't you bring your family and stay over here? It's so dangerous over there. And he said, I cannot. That's where I'm called to be. And every time I talk to him, he's encouraging me. And I'm thinking, you're, you're in the, right on the front lines. I'm in the mass unit back here. And you're on the front lines. And he's always encouraging me. In fact, our other brother, Yakapu, and his family that's here in Kentucky has been told they, are not allowed, they should not come back because as soon as they get off the airplane, they'll become a target. When they find out they've come back from America, they'll become a target. That's where people live in some of these other countries. Their life's on the line. And we can't get out of the bed in the morning and go to church. And their lives are on the line. I'm not talking to us. we got a faithful group. But I'm just saying that a lot of Christians, they go to church when there's nothing left to do. And they're like, they're, we got brothers and sisters that are laying their life on the line all the time. They also set these false witnesses up. This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. All who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. So there's similar to what happened with Moses, right? His face is all aglow. Then the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. Now Stephen's going to, this is his moment. All we know about Stephen is he was called to be a deacon. He starts, I guess, waiting on tables, taking care of the widows, getting stuff to people who need it, and he finds himself in this dilemma. He's not prepared for the sermon. He's just a vessel, says, okay, looks like this is my moment. He's going to preach one sermon in his entire life, and it's going to be put in the Scripture. He's going to die, they say, they think he died between the ages of 28 and 32. His life's going to be over. Much like John the Baptist, who came on the scene of the tribe of Levi, let the world know he identified the lamb, and shortly thereafter, gone. Heads cut off. Gone to heaven. Paradise. Short-lived. Some 
live extended lives, some live short lives, but God's got a plan for every one of us. And anybody that's went across to the other side into heaven, don't worry about them. They wouldn't come back down here if, 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 they, if you wanted them to. They're in the, why would they? Why would anybody in heaven want to come back down here? Have you seen gas prices? <laughs> gas is free up there. You just ride horses everywhere up there, I guess. You're going to ride one back, right? So he says, they appeared to our, he says, he starts his message. Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, and he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of this country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Now let me tell you something. Following Christ may cost you some relationships. Choose you. I've been in this for 30-some years now, and I can tell you there are people walked out of my office choosing a relationship with another human over the relationship with God. I'm going to tell you as loud as I can, and everybody around the globe that's watching are going to get this podcast. That will not work in the end. You cannot choose relationships with other people over your relationship with God. I don't care if they're your spouse. I don't care if they're your mom or dad. In fact, Jesus made it very plain, didn't he? He said, you cannot love anybody more than me and be my disciple. But the key to that is this, because when you get fully in love with Jesus, his love saturates you. So then you have more ability to love people. You, if you love somebody more than Jesus, if you would change your life and love Jesus the most, then that would enable you to love that person more than you did when you only loved them the most. That's the kind of capacity. It's like the, the, the KU analogy I've given you about the BTUs. When you come to Christ and make him the Lord of your life, your BTU level goes up. You burn hotter with love. You burn less with love, figuratively speaking, before you come to Christ. So you may be thinking, I love this person more than anything else in the world. And then you come to Christ and you think, well, I love him first, so I'm going to love them less. No, that's not how it works. You get more capacity to love because you've found true love. God is love, the Bible says. He is agape. And so when I get a hold of him or he gets a hold of me, I have more capacity, more BTUs to have more agape so I can love him first and love this person more than I loved them before. That's how the Christianity works. That's how the work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And he says, they came out from the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there with his father, when his father was dead, he moved him. Uh, to this land in which you now dwell. And God, I have to get just right to read this. I'm going to have to stand over here these new glasses. Man, what is going on? And God, <laughs> he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. I may need somebody to read this and me just interpret. Like they do, flop that, you know, flip flop it. Uh, but God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and they would bring them into bondage, oppress them 400 years, and the nation to whom uh, they will be in bondage I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out of the, and serve me in this place. So he's giving them a history lesson, right? About how God took them down to Egypt, brought them out, then he judged Egypt. 
Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve prayers. What do we know about a guy who's not one of the twelve, who's not, we don't know that he's even called into the fivefold ministry at this point. He's just being serving tables. He's full of God's word. I don't care what your role is in the kingdom of God, you need to be full of God's word. I don't care if you're a missionary, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a musician. It doesn't matter. You need to be full of God's Word if you're going to work in His kingdom. If you're going to visit the widows and the orphans, you need to be full of God's Word. Because not only does it give us understanding of who He is and His plan, but that's where our power comes from. If you don't eat, guess what? You get weak. Same thing spiritually. If you don't eat God's Word, you'll get weak spiritually and you'll become, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a target of the enemy. If you, if you got the newsletter, I think I talked about that, if you got that today. But you become a target of the enemy. When you get weaker, you become more vulnerable to Satan. All right? So God wants you to be fit. And also, you get cranky. I do too. Think about it. If you don't eat natural food, you get cranky. How many people do you know, don't talk to me, I've not had a cup of coffee yet, I just got out of bed, don't talk to me. <laughs> or whatever it is, right? People are like that. Give me that coffee. And so he says, then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, so Abraham begat Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat the twelve, and the patriarchs becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him, right? Joseph's dilemma was God's opportunity to use him. And to raise him up and to make him strong and a man of faith, right? He gets betrayed by his brothers, sold by his brothers, winds up in Egypt, goes to the top in Potiphar's house, gets lied on, thrown in prison. God resurrects him out of the prison and brings him back to life. And before God's done with him, he's the second in command of the whole known world. And if you read Genesis, the Egyptians nicknamed Joseph Zerapapanei which means savior of the world. Because God used Joseph to say, hey, you got seven years of plenty coming. You need to store up. You got seven years of famine coming. Get ready. And God used him basically to save the known world and to save his own brothers. But he saved the Gentiles first. He took a Gentile bride first. And then he brought his brothers back in, revealed him. Is anybody getting this? revealed himself to them and reconciled himself to them. That's exactly what's getting ready to happen. God has saved the Gentiles as a group first. He's taken a Gentile bride for his son first. Then he's bringing all the Jews home. That's why they've been going home for the last 30 years. He's getting them ready to open their eyes so that they're going to see the Messiah. The Bible says they're going to look upon the one in whom they pierced when he comes back for them. That's exactly what's happened. Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Jesus had a special garment, so special they wouldn't divide it. Joseph had a coat of many coats. Joseph was loved by his father. Jesus was loved by his father. Joseph was betrayed between two men in prison, Jesus was between two men on the cross. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph took a Gentile bride, revealed himself to his brothers. Jesus is going to take a Gentile bride first and then reveal himself to his brothers. That's, amen. Just that one story comparing it to Jesus Christ tells me the Bible is real and true. 
that God's not caught off guard about anything. If you're going through something in your life, God saw it coming before it ever got to you. You remember that a few months ago? I keep referring to this, so I have to dig that word back out. But it, the Hebrew word says, God's already been around the corner before you get to the corner. He knows exactly what's coming in your life. He knows exactly how to maneuver you to set you up. And if he lets dilemmas come, look up because he's just putting you in a place where he can show his glory through you and I. Somebody give the Lord praise. Amen. So that's the kind of God we serve. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. So he, he, he gives them, continues this history lesson. Now, famine of great trouble came uh, over uh, in the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no res- uh, sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he went out, our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh, and Joseph was, uh, was called the father of Jacob, and all his relatives too, and called his father Jacob, and all his relatives too, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb, and Abraham brought, and, and Abraham bought for, that Abraham bought for some of money from the sons of Hamor, uh, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Jesus. This is all part of God's plan, though, because God wants them back out of there. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. That, that's what's going on in the world today. I, sometimes I listen to the other side. I know they're crazy, and I have to just shake my head sometimes when I listen to the sinners. But they're blind, right? They don't know Jesus. But I was listening to a report on Argentina. And in Argentina, and they passed abortion. It's legal to have a, kill babies. And you know what they said? They said, the first, the first, here's why we got abortion in Argentina. And this is why we think they're going to get it in Colombia. This is all South America. And Colombia, like 80-some percent of the people are against it, and the court still pushed it through. But they said, here's what happened in Argentina. The women became more educated, less religious, and we removed the stigma of how bad it was. If I showed you what they do to those babies in the womb on this video right here, Every one of us would probably get up and walk out to, to not see it. To watch those little babies try to get away from stuff that's trying to kill them. Used to be the safest place in, in the world was in a mother's womb. It's open season now. But you hear what they said in Argentina? They were cheering it on. This is how we got it through. We got the women more educated, less religious, and we took away the stigma. In other words, it ain't so bad. Ain't that how the devil works on every situation? This is a big situation because it's come back to life here in this country. And it's evidently trying to work its way into other countries around the world where God's offspring are being slaughtered in the womb. Now, do you think when when an abortion, what we call an abortion happens, you think God looks down and says, well, they aborted another one of our children. I don't think he uses the word abort. See, everything the world does, they try to choose words that deadens the blow, don't they? I think God looks down and says, well, they killed another one of our offspring we sent down there. 
We use words like affair instead of adultery, right? Gay instead of sodomy. Why do we do that? Because we, the world wants to deaden the blow. They don't want people to see the reality of things. They don't want the stigma attached. But I tell you, there's no good end to sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death, James said. That's how it works. You want to get out of this world and live eternally, you need to get out of sin and follow Jesus Christ. So then he says, he says, he's talking about all this that went on down there. This man uh, dealt treacherously, Pharaoh's daughter. He says, but when he was, he said they were trying to kill our children. At this time, Moses was born. And he was well pleasing to God, and he was brought up by his father's house three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away, brought him up as his own son, as her own son. And Moses was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Now let me tell you the, the, the other side of this. He got in the flesh. God was going to use, and he did use him to deliver them, but he got in the flesh. He got ahead of God. He thought, I'll just start delivering them right now. I'm killing this dude. And he thought everybody would be on his side. Elect Moses for mayor. Right? Then David, they said, David, let us kill Saul. And David said, no. Because if I bring the kingdom to myself with my own hand, another hand can take it away. He said, I'm going to wait for God to bring the kingdom to my hand. Because if God opens a door... Nobody can't shut it. If God closes a door, no one can open it. See, we need to wait and trust in the Lord. Moses got ahead of the Lord, and God forgave him, and we, we're thankful, right? God's a good God. But Moses got ahead of the Lord. And so he's, uh, he supposed that his brethren would have understood his hand, but they did not understand. Now, here's something else. Do not put God in a box. How many of us would have liked seeing our children raised in Egypt? How many of us would have picked that journey for our child? God knows what he's done. That's how he corrected me with the little deal we had with a little grace. He took me back to there and said, let me remind you that I sent Moses to Egypt and took care of him and raised him up. So you can't put God in a box. We don't make any decisions out of fear because decisions made out of fear most of the time will be wrong. None of us probably would have thought, I'm good with that. Let Pharaoh train him. But God had a plan, right? And the next day he appeared, the two of them, as they were fighting, and they tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? And, and he, but he who did this to his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. He got afraid, right? He thought they were going to probably round him up. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the, in the flame of the bush. And think about that. Isn't God so full of grace and mercy? He hadn't forgot where Moses was. He knew exactly where he was. In the wilderness of Mount Sinai, when Moses saw it, he marveled 
at the side, and he drew near to observe, and the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. The place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and they've come down to, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Moses is going to be the mouthpiece and the director. God's going to do everything. If we could settle that in our lives, right, I mean, what freedom that would bring us. You and I are not responsible for results. Do you know that? I found that out about five years into pastor. And I, finally, the Lord really said that I'm not responsible for results. All I'm responsible to do is obey. All I do is plant and water. The Bible says he adds to the church daily such as should be saved. He, Jesus said, I'll build my church. He, what he's looking for, and it's really this simple. He's looking for people that will do things according to his word. That's what he's looking for. I'm not responsible for results. You cannot measure ministry in numbers. We're thankful for the blessings, but if numbers is the way you measured ministry, then Jeremiah was a failure because he didn't have one convert in that whole book, 40 chapters worth. Was he a success? Yes. You know why? Because he obeyed and did exactly what God told him to do. That's, God, you're not, you and I can't bring eternal results anyway. You don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. You don't heal anybody. I don't heal anybody. We're just channels that God works through. We plant, we water, but it takes the Holy Spirit. You Nobody can even be saved if the Holy Spirit's not doing it. It's just an emotional moment for somebody. And we've seen that with people, right? They come run the altar, have a, altar and have an emotional moment, but they don't really have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and really repent, and they go back out to where they came from. Because they really weren't born again. Jesus said a man must be born again. You don't just assimilate into a new culture. You and I repent for our sins. To repent means that I was going this way and I'm turning and going this way now. That's what repentance is. Whatever is back there, it doesn't matter what it is. When I've truly repented to God, it means I've turned and I'm going this way now because I was going that way. That's repentance. It's not, and that's, that's what a lot of churches have discovered and the ones that are that they're assimilating people into their culture and they're not confronting them with the gospel. They bring a guy in and they want him in so bad and want him to feel what they feel. And they say, hey, brother, come in. Join the deer hunting club. Hey, honey, come in, officer. Join the yarn club. Make Afghans. Is that, did I say that right? That's a group of people too, isn't it? Afghans. And they assimilate into a culture. They don't really get confronted with their sin. They don't really get confronted with Jesus Christ saying, you need to make a decision. Are you going to live your life for you or are you going to live your life for him? That's the reality. Now, God is the only true and living God. Every other God is false. And so you're going to have to, we got to do something with that. Jesus Christ is the only one that's risen from the dead, eternal life. Not just proven in our Bibles, but proven by the Romans and Jews both who testified that he come out of the grave. He was seen by many. He come out of that grave. Mohammed didn't come out of the grave. Buddha didn't come out of the grave. And your grandmother ain't coming out of the grave unless she knew Jesus. And someday she'll come out later. 
But Jesus is the only one that came out of the grave after three days to eternal life, offering that all to us. And so they, they, he said, I, he's going to send Moses down to Egypt. The timing, see, the timing. God can do more in five minutes than we can do in a whole lifetime. That's exactly, basically what he's doing here with Stephen. He's doing more in probably 30 minutes than Stephen could have ever got done his whole lifetime. This powerful message has rang around the world for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. Over a thousand years. And so it says, Then Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler and judge is the one God sent to be ruler and deliverer. You can't put God in a box. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and Red Sea and the wilderness for 40 years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise you up a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So he preaches this whole message. I'm running out of time. But he preaches this whole message trying to get them to see how God's plan unfolded for them to be saved, for them to believe on Jesus Christ. And they refused. I know that the world, if people are not saved, born again, redeemed, converted, however you want to say that, they're blind. But I also know how good God is. That He's revealed them, Himself to them. The Bible says in Titus that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So He's revealed Himself to them. Whether they choose Him or not goes back to that free will. It's their choice. But the only way, and this life's just a vapor. You know how the Bible speaks of that. It's just a vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow. What really counts is whether you've surrendered your life to Christ and follow Him. Eternal life awaits on us on the other side. In the last few verses, um, I apologize for wearing these glasses, trying to break them in. Verse 54 says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at Him with their teeth. But He, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Whew, that's awesome, ain't it? Then they cried out with a loud voice, Stop their ears. And ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul, who later become known as Paul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, The Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down, cried out with a loud voice, and said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. What a man. Went out to wait on tables. Spontaneously started preaching a message. And then he got killed. And the guy that everybody laid their stuff down before was the guy that God was going to raise up 
to write most of the New Testament and bring the gospel of good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Stephen's life accomplished more in 30 or 40 minutes than most people's do in lifetimes. Because the result of this, don't you think this haunted Paul? Saul at the time? It had to haunt him. God used, that's probably not the right choice of words, but God used that probably to start the pricks. Because remember when he finally was converted, the Lord said, How long are you going to kick against the pricks, Paul? I'm trying to use that gold to get your attention. But I'll tell you, when he got him, he got him, didn't he? He was willing to die. The prophet, I'm going to close with this, the prophet was, they were all afraid because Paul was getting ready to go up to Rome and the prophet that was in the group took Rome, uh, Paul's girdle off and put it around him and said, the man that this belonged to is going to be bound up and hauled to Jerusalem. And Paul, instead of saying, oh, ooh, better be about that, son. He looked at him, he said, not only am I ready to be bound and hauled up to Jerusalem, but I'm ready to die for the gospel. When God got Paul, he got the number one dude. And you may think, well, that's a special way God got him, knocked him down on the road to Damascus and blinded him and said, who wouldn't get saved then, right? But aren't you thankful? Because he wrote most of the New Testament. I'm glad God got a hold of Paul, Saul, and changed him to Paul. All of this comes out of a guy who's committed, who wasn't mad because he was asked to wait tables, who took his moment and preached the gospel, and that was it. And then God took that and birthed this movement after Paul. What an awesome guy. If you, if you can tell Stephen for us, Lord, we're thankful. If you see him up there in heaven anywhere, <laughs> tell him we're thankful for his faithfulness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for men and women in the scripture that we've seen uh, be so committed to you that the word was more important than their own life. And God, I pray that that would be my lot. That the Word is more important than my own life. You are the reason we live. In You, we live and move and have our being. And when the roll is called up yonder, Lord, I'll be there. Because You have the words of life. And we don't have anywhere else to go except to You. And everybody said... Thank you.